0: Second Kings chapter 5, I'm going to read uh, in verses 1 through 16. I know it's a bit longer. I'll, I'll read the whole thing, though. I, uh, I had a seminary professor tell me once, even if it's a long passage, read the whole thing. Because uh, if you completely botch the sermon, at least you will have done that correctly. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll lower the bar right out, out of the gate by just <laughs> sticking with this. Uh, kind of a fascinating story here. One of my favorite in Scripture. Uh, let's hear now from the Word of the Lord. Second Kings, chapter five, verses one through sixteen. Uh, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you, name my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean." But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to meet me and, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servant came, servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant." But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word this morning. Help us to see here in your word our condition before you, our natural condition. Help us to see clearly in your word the cure that you've brought to us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to see what you have called us to. Keep us, Lord, from the temptation of changing your word to match our lives, but may we be changed by your spirit, evermore conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, kind of an interesting passage. You probably don't read that one too often, uh, it's always kind of had my attention. Uh, especially when we get to the Halloween time of year, uh, because we start thinking about curses and all that. Uh, maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a fall festival kind of guy than a trick-or-treat guy. I don't know about, about you. Uh, I've noticed Halloween's really grown, hasn't it? I mean, it's gotten... It seemed like when I was a kid, we just did the trick-or-treat. You know, you've got the trunk-or-treat. I appreciate that. Uh, And then you let your parents look through your candy. You guys look through your kids' candy, right? I don't know what I'm looking for. I have four kids. Uh, One's here. Plug your ears. Uh, I have no clue what we're looking for in the candy, other than to make an inventory of what we want to take out of their pumpkins when they're asleep. (laughs) It's called the dad tax. It's legal. Well, we were living on New England, out in New England once, and, and I met someone who kind of changed Halloween for me, because uh, he was a wizard, like a legitimate wizard, and I was just shopping at the Dollar Tree, and this guy said, you know, are you excited about Halloween? And I said, not really, how about you? And he was very excited, he was going to go to Salem, Massachusetts, you know, home of the the witch trials, like that place, and I said, that's interesting, and he said, yeah, because I'm a wizard, and he was like some certain level, and he pulled a wand out of his bag, which scared me to death, I didn't know if it had like a unicorn feather in it or what, uh, but it was a serious wand, and he said, we go there to practice cursing people, and I thought, I'm never shopping the Dollar Tree again, <laughs> like I don't like curses, I don't want to be cursed, uh, and so Halloween kind of scares me. That has nothing to do with the message this morning, but uh. (laughs) we're going to talk about curses. We're going to talk about Naaman's curse. We'll talk about our curse. We'll talk about the cure or or how we are cleansed, Uh, and then we'll talk about our call. So so curse, uh, cleansing, and call. First, let's look at the curse. Uh, A little background as we come into the story here. Uh, Israel and Syria during this time, and it really for all time, are kind of at war. I think even this week, uh, Israel bombed some targets in Syria. Uh, This is nothing new under the sun, as as Solomon would say. This is uh, centuries, thousands of years that these two countries in this region have been fighting each other. They're at war here. And and Naaman, we read in verse 1, is a commander of the king of Syria, a great man with his master, and high in favor. Interestingly enough, it says, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He's a mighty man of valor, which normally we see attributed to David's men. So it's a high title in Scripture. Uh, He's an impressive guy. He's a general. He's probably very wealthy. He has a lot of fame. Uh, They used to worship almost the generals, not the actors and actresses of Hollywood, but it was the generals who commanded everybody's respect. They were the ones that got the followers on Twitter or X or whatever it is now. Uh, Everybody loves Naaman except... He's cursed, right? In, in the Hebrew, it's kind of setting you up here because it's, it's saying his praise. It's speaking how great he is. And then kind of this term in here makes you do a full stop and go, wait, there's something weird about this guy. What is it? It says, he was a leper. And a first century audience would almost gasp like, oh, you can do that. It's okay. You can gasp in church. Like This is unexpected. How could this famous person have this curse on him? For those not familiar with leprosy, listen to this description from a, a medical journal. It says, leprosy generally begins with pain in various areas of the body. That's not just called aging, I guess. It could be leprosy. Uh, Numbness then follows, and soon your skin spots and loses color and begins to flake off. As the sickness progresses, the spots become dirty sores due to poor blood supply. Deep furrows form between the swelling on the fingers and toes and the lack of blood flow can cause them to start to drop off. By this time, everybody can see the pitiful condition that someone is in and as well as start to smell them because an odor starts to emanate from them. In fact, if you spend too much time with someone who had leprosy, you would feel a, a metallic taste in your mouth, and that's from the odor coming off of their body. Eventually, their voice would degrade. And it would be hard to remain in their presence without feeling sick yourself. And while we do fortunately have cures for this disease, today there was no cure in ancient times. And so they were cast off into a colony by themselves, as the Old Testament even commanded. It was a dreadful and disgusting disease, one of which most ancient people interpreted as meaning you were cursed by God himself. It wasn't just that you had fallen sick. It wasn't just that you had contracted disease, but but they would interpret your leprosy as God himself was cursing you and sending you not only to physical but spiritual death. The first century Jewish historian Josephus, he sums it up this way when he says, lepers were treated as if they were in effect physically and spiritually dead men walking. To be a leper, was to carry a physical curse on your body, and to interpret that curse as a spiritual curse upon you, to be living as someone who was before everybody else simply dying. So Naaman bears this this terrible curse. And I would argue that his curse in this story is actually, for us, an image of the curse that we carry when we're born. We are all born, if you will, with leprosy of the soul. The Scriptures are saying that if you could look at your soul in its natural state, if you could look at yourself as you're born into sin, that what you would see is a leprous soul slowly wasting away and dying. And it's a vivid image that we're meant to see of ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says that we are all born dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the curse of this world. That we are living people who are the walking dead, so to speak. And so maybe we could pause today and just ask, where do we feel dirty. Where do we feel cursed before God? Where do we feel that if we were to stand before God Almighty, He would look at us and see the leprosy of the sin that spots our soul? But maybe more importantly, where do we find the cure? How can we be cleansed from our natural condition? Naaman, wondering the same thing for himself, of course, he sets out to find a cure. And how does he do it? Let's look at three different ways in which he tries to obtain uh, what I'll call an assurance of cleanliness. I know you have four blanks. Uh, let's go with three today. I think one was just a bad idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> let's look at the three ways. Even, even preachers, sometimes we just get a dumb idea. Um, There it is for you to see. Uh, So we'll look at three, three ways in which he tries to assure himself of cleanliness. The first thing that we're told is after verse five, the king of Syria sends Naaman to the prophet in Israel. We know that this is Elisha. We're told in verse five again, Naaman brings his personal resources. Okay, he went taking with him 10 talents of silver. That's about $200,000 in today's money. That's a decent chunk of change. He takes 6,000 shekels of gold, or roughly two and a half million dollars, and then the one that's always baffled me, 10 changes of clothing. What the heck? <laughs> I'm always like, what is it, Versace or Gucci? or what? Like, How do you know what kind of clothing to bring Elisha? I don't know if he's a Vans or a Converse guy. Uh, we don't know, but, but Naaman brings his personal resources. He brings about Three million dollars worth of resources to try to buy himself a cure. On top of that, he brings powerful connections. Powerful connections. Verse 6 says that he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read: When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you name in my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. What's he doing? He's saying, if, if my finances, if I can't buy a cure, I'll make sure I can at least secure it through my connections to the king of Syria. Now, I preached at a church, a little really cool church out in Albania once. It was built into a city wall. It was amazing. Uh, and I was kind of just awestruck walking into this place until this lady walked up to me and she said, my name is Sophia, I am a very powerful person because my husband is the mayor of this town. I was like, oh, (laughs) good to know. (laughs) Don't offend Sophia here. And she was my interpreter when I was trying to preach, so that was weird. Uh, But she made it very clear right up front that she was kind of in charge, and she was kind of a big deal because she was connected to a powerful person. And Naaman's kind of got this same idea. I'm going to come to the the prophet of God Almighty, and if I can't buy him off, I'll at least make sure he knows who I'm connected to. He knows that I know a guy, and that guy's the king of Syria. So he brings his personal resources. He brings his powerful connections. He brings his professional reputation. Verse 9, he came with horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. This is like the ultimate trick-or-treater right here, right? He's got, he's got an army behind him, kind of the ancient version of a professional resume saying, if you're not going to accept my money, you can at least know who I'm connected to. And if that doesn't impress you, I'll check out the army standing on your front lawn. We're going to cure me now one way or another. He brings of himself to try to find cleanliness before man and God. We see that in verse 9. When he brings his horses and chariots and stands at the door of Elisha's house, verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. And here's the point, friends. God rejects what we bring. God rejects what we bring in order to come cure ourselves. And and let me say this. Not only does God not accept what we have to offer Him as a basis for our cleanliness, but God, I would add, in His grace, does not accept what we bring to try to cure ourselves. Could you imagine a world in which you have to buy off God in order to be clean before Him? Can you imagine a world in which you had to know the right people to find eternal life? You imagine a world in which you had to try to intimidate God Almighty to be cleaned from your leprosy of the soul. I don't know if you've ever bought a house. It's kind of an intimidating thing, isn't it? Like, they they want to know everything about you, don't they? Uh, They want to know where you work, know how much money you make. Uh, I've had to write letters to prove I'm qualified for the job, which always baffles me. Like, well, I convinced them to hire me. Why can't I convince you that I'm qualified to work this job? They look at your credit. They look at your history. Uh, You want to know a good realtor, so you want to know some people that know some people so you can kind of get the hookup, right? There's there's like everything about you gets exposed to, you know, the almighty bank, and you're hoping and begging that they're going to fund you to buy a home. Can you imagine if eternal life happened the same way? That who you knew and what you made and what you've done in the past and how you're qualified to do the things that you're doing all had to be laid bare before God Almighty, and He would be the one kind of looking over your resume and your connections and your bank accounts and your credit history, and He would then decide based on those things whether or not to accept you into eternal life. I think it's very gracious of God to not do that to us. It's very gracious of God to, to say, friends, I'm gonna reject that entire way of thinking. See, Christianity is not let me present myself before God, before God, let me let me lay everything out there for him and let me hope that he accepts me. Friends, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is that God brings us cleansing by grace, through faith. That's what ultimately cures Naaman, isn't it? God says, I'm going to present to you a way in which to walk by faith and find cleansing. Faith, we know, has, has three aspects to it, okay? We have knowledge, assent, and trust. Three aspects to faith. Knowledge being someone tells me that something is true. I'm now aware of the true fact, okay? Ascent means that I accept that fact as truth and then trust I now walk in that thing that I've accepted as a true fact. You with me? Too early for that? I know that was big. I didn't use the Latin terms, so we should be all right. (laughs) But what's he tell him? He says, here's the knowledge piece. If you wash in the River Jordan seven times, you will be cleansed. That's the knowledge. Naaman doesn't accept that, does he, at first? He knows, according to the Word of God through Elisha, that if he were to go to the Jordan and wash seven times, he would be cleansed. But he rejects that fact, at least at first. In fact, he's kind of angry about it, and he speaks of his rivers back home, right? And he kind of looks at the Jordan River, which, to be honest, is kind of disgusting if you ever go and see it. It's brown and and gross, and he's thinking of, like, his pristine Washington State rivers, right? And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. There's no way that's true. But his servants, they come and they, they tell him in verses 11 and 12, look, go and do it. Accept it as true. What do you have to lose? So he has the knowledge of the cure, but he has to accept it as fact. Once he does, he can't just stop there, right? He can't just stand on the bank of the Jordan and go, I totally believe that if I were to go in there and dip seven times, I would be cured and then turn around and walk away. That would mean he hasn't actually accepted it. He has to now trust. He has to step out into the Jordan River, and he has to dip himself seven times. Now, can you imagine for a moment what that would have been like to go under? It's like being baptized. You ever seen the Orthodox? They baptized the three dunks, you know? He had to do seven. And so to come up the first time and to still have leprosy on your skin, and to come up the second time and still be a leper, and to come up the third time, you know where that goes, right? We're going to go all the way to seven. And on that sixth time, he now has to demonstrate his faith by going under a seventh time and coming up a seventh time so that he can be cleansed. His faith becomes real when he not only accepts it as truth, but acts upon it. He acts in accordance with the word of the man of God. And then I love verse 14 and 15. He acts according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. That's Hebrew for smooth as a baby's butt. Man, That's that guy comes up and he's healed. He's been cured. He's been cleansed by grace through faith, a faith that has been demonstrated by trusting in the word of God. And he's not just cleansed physically, is he? He says in verse 15, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. And we see in the story that he's now a worshiper of God. He's been cured of both his physical curse and his spiritual curse. And now he can truly worship God. Well, what about us? We don't go dip ourselves in the Jordan River seven times, do we? You see, for us, we are still cured in the same way, as in by grace through faith, but our faith is not in the Jordan River, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, as our, our Naaman and his curse is a picture for us of, of our spiritual curse, so too his cure by grace through faith is a picture of our cure. Because many years later, after the time of Naaman, God comes into us in the person of of Jesus, and he takes our curse upon himself so that we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. You see, Jesus took on the sin and shame that leprosy represents. He took it upon himself at that place called Calvary as he hung on the cross. There on the cross, Jesus endured all the scorn and shame not only of what a leper would feel, but of every physical and spiritual ailment that plagues all of humanity. On the cross, Jesus was excluded so that we could be included. On the cross, He was cast outside of God's favor so that we could be brought inside the home of God. On the cross, He was thrown outside the city so that we could be welcomed into the celestial city. On the cross, He became momentarily unclean so that we could be eternally clean before God Almighty. On the cross, Paul tells us that He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. See, the Bible teaches us we cannot make ourselves clean, nor do we even need to try. Because that has been done for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, this story is about God's promises to us in Jesus. It's about our curse, but also our cure in Jesus. It's about grace and and faith and salvation, not just from a physical ailment, but from spiritual disease. And so how should we respond? It's a cool story. Let's go home and watch football, right? That's not how we respond. We respond uh, in three ways. First, we Receive grace. It's actually kind of hard to do, isn't it? Especially if you see yourself as very unclean. If we look at our lives and and we we buy into the, the lie that Satan tries to sell us on when he holds up the mirror before us and says, You're just too unclean for God to love, then grace can be really hard to accept. Some of us, we, we go home and we, we look in that mirror and we see that lie that Satan's holding up and we start going backwards through our past or we start looking at our resources or we start looking at our, our circle of friends or our lack of a career or whatever it might be and we say there's no way on planet earth that God could ever see me as anything other than someone who's just filthy like a leprous person. And friends, I want to tell you, that is not how God sees his people. He sees his people smooth as a baby's butt coming out of that Jordan River for the seventh time and says, you are clean because Jesus Christ took that sin off of you and put it on himself, and he gave you his perfect righteousness. When, when Satan holds that mirror up before you, you do two things. At least this is what I do. I say you know what Satan you're right that's who I was. But then I say Hebrews 10:22 you know what Satan I can draw near to God with a pure heart in full assurance of faith because I have a heart that has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and a body that has been washed pure with water. Friends the first thing we do in Christianity is we receive grace. From God Almighty, who cleanses us, past, present, and future. You know, if you're in Christ, you can't outsin God's love for you. He cleanses you past, present, and future from all unrighteousness. First thing we do, we receive grace. Secondly, we give grace. God's people are to be a people who give grace grace to others now we didn't talk about this part of the story too much but verse 2 and 3 tells us that there was a little girl who had been carried off in one of Naaman's raids did you catch that and the reason Naaman finds out that he can come back to Israel and be saved by the God of Israel is because a little girl who'd been kidnapped by a Syrian general doesn't just wallow in her misery. She unbelievably, and and I can't even imagine how, gives grace to this man through his wife by saying, I can tell that my kidnapper is miserable because of his physical condition. But you know what? If he were to go meet the man of my God, he could be cured. Unbelievable grace that she gives. I mean, I look at this little girl and I go, she has outgraced me in so many ways. Who do we need to give grace to in our lives this week? I mean, the thing with grace is it's not earned, right? Like You can't just look at your kids or your parents or family members or coworkers or, or boss and say, well, they've really earned some grace this week. I'll give it to them. Often God calls us to the, the Syrian generals in our life. It says, we need to give them grace. And man, that's a hard thing to do. How do we give grace like that? You know, my, my mindset on grace changed when I realized giving someone grace is not just being nice to them. I used to think that, like, I'm just supposed to be nice to people and that's giving grace. There's an element of it. But how does she truly give grace to Naaman? She does the third thing. She points him to the gospel of grace. She points him to the God who is gracious. To truly give grace to someone is, yes, in part to be nice, but in full to point them to the good news of Jesus Christ, the most gracious person they will ever meet. Would that the That my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. She's not just nice to Naaman. She's gracious by pointing him to her God. She says what you and I are called to say to those whom God has called us to do life with. Would that you could meet my God. Oh, would that you could come to Valley Center Community Church with me on Sunday and meet my God. Oh, would that you would just open your Bible with me and get to know my Jesus. You will receive more grace there than I could ever give you. Wherever God calls us, wherever He sends us, wherever He leads us to, that's how He calls us, that's how He sends us, that's how He leads us to point others to Him and the good news of His Son. You know who understood this was a, a man named Father Damien. Father Damien was a, a hard-working priest who began to minister to a leper colony in Hawaii in the 1800s. He was supposed to be on a three-month assignment to this leper colony, but once he got there and saw the needs, he decided to stay full-time He built hundreds of small houses to replace the the miserable huts that the lepers were living in. He installed new pipes and brought in fresh water from the local springs. He built coffins and created a cemetery to honor and bury the dead instead of them laying in the mass graves that they had been cast into. He turned plots of land into small farms. He built clinics. He even built a small chapel, trained up a choir, and started leading Sunday services amongst these lepers in Hawaii. For 11 years, he worked among them, seeing them come to salvation in Christ, seeing their physical lives deteriorate, but their spiritual lives be born again and take on a whole new way of living. And then one Sunday morning, he got up to the pulpit, he read the passage for the morning, and then he looked out across the crowd of lepers, and he said these words, he said, we lepers. And the colony truly gasped. Because with those words, he told them that he had physically become just like them. He had caught their disease as he ministered among them. For four more years, he continued laboring amongst them as his body wasted away. As he died of the same disease that everybody else in that colony would eventually die from but he followed the example of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in me. He? he went right into the middle of where God had called him. He took the grace that he received, and he gave that grace by pointing people to Jesus Christ no matter the cost. Because he understood what Jesus had done for him. And he understood that no matter what happened to him physically, spiritually he was untouchable because he'd been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are all born under the curse of sin, but we are all cleansed by Jesus if and when we receive the grace that he offers us. And then we worship him, and we go out to live gracious lives, pointing others to the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, that we would be a people who not only see our condition before you and and are pierced by it and humbled by it and at times broken by it, but Lord, that we would be a people who turn to Jesus Christ and receive the grace that he offers us so freely. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here today who is struggling to receive that grace, that you would implant it deep in their heart right now. I pray that you would open their eyes that they might see their wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that, that as we leave this place, we go out with hearts of worship, thanking you for the work that you have done in us. Lord, I pray that we would go out into this world and be agents of grace. That we would, yes, of course, Lord, be kind and loving and salt and light, but in that, Lord, we would also point people to Jesus Christ, the most gracious human being that's ever walked planet Earth. I pray that you would work through this congregation and this church in this city to draw people to the loving arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.